And I am aware now. Aware now. The official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. When he was 34, Alex thought he had the man flu, but collapsed and was rushed to the hospital where he was given just hours to live and a 3% chance of survival. He had contracted strep A, followed by septicemia, which led to him having all four limbs amputated. As well as losing his limbs, Alex lost his lips and nose. But for all he lost, he gained so much, a life with more purpose and passion to serve than he had ever known. A quad amputee who advocates for assistive technology and inclusive innovation, Alex Lewis is an inspiration for all. Alex Lewis, first of all, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation with me today. So appreciate you. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's just bring people up to speed. For those who are unfamiliar with your story, Alex, please share, how was it that you lost your limbs? So I caught a rare case of invasive group A strep back in 2013 um, and that led to septicemia, toxic shock syndrome, necrotizing fasciitis, kidney failure, dialysis, all sorts of things. Um, so that was end of 2013 and then I spent the next eight months in hospital going through double above knee amputation, um, uh, above uh, elbow single arm amputation and below elbow uh, single arm amputation and then facial surgeries trying to rebuild my face. Uh, and when people think they think strep, they think, oh, I've got a sore throat. They don't think about what that can lead to. They don't think about um, how a life can change so quickly. No, that's, it's been quite interesting recently. So here in the UK, we've had a sharp increase in uh, numbers of group A strep. Um, over the end of last year and early this year, I think the deaths for children below 12 are up by 90%, 85, 90%. It's crazy um, because the pandemic and the, the children's baseline immunity level is so low uh, that invasive group A is um, coming on board and it's been more in the press and people have been asking me more questions about it. So the awareness actually here in the UK has gone up um, quite a lot um, and I think all the parents that I know and have spoken to that have got young kids they've all been made aware of symptoms um, illnesses that can lead to eye gas as it's called um, so yeah I mean we've had quite an awareness push in the UK but globally it's very very rare for people to know what it can lead to as you say in, in the US it's a, it's a sore throat strep throat um, but yeah, unfortunately, through the pandemic, the numbers are going to go up uh, and up, I'm afraid, at the moment. Right, right. Uh, and so to your point, it's right. It's about becoming more aware, becoming more familiar with things. Uh, I'd like to talk about what people are familiar about when we talk about things like horse whisperer and dog whisperer. Like people <laughs> know these references, right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
what I want to talk about is muscle whisper. So, uh, again, for those who are not aware, through a chance meeting with a PhD student at Imperial University, you, Alex, were invited to participate, to take part in this research that was going on. Please explain the science behind what is called muscle whispering technology and what that was like for you. And so, yeah, muscle whispering technology. So when I met this student at a chance, a talk and local to me one evening um, back in 2016, I think it was, um, he did this demonstration with a bionic hand and he was explaining that all our muscles in our body make a unique sound. And he had devised a system where just through a band that could wrap around uh, someone's forearm or um, uh, bicep, he could calibrate the noises the muscles would make when, for instance, you point a finger or you clench your fist. And then he could calibrate a system where the bionic hand would then replicate that gesture. So the theory was that I would be able to wear the strap sat in an office in London and I would be able to imagine rebuilding a satellite with my hands and fingers and everything and going through all the motions. And bionic hands in space would be able to carry out fixing a satellite was what he was how he pitched it and i and i just thought that's just ridiculous that can't happen surely um but he invited me along to london because he said he couldn't get uh end users who wear prosthetic limbs upper limb predominantly to take part in any, any kind of trial or study so we became patient one really our end user research led patient one up at Imperial and we worked with Sam and his tech for about four years I would think start to finish um, and he was focusing on bionic limbs because he thought there were loads and loads of people all over the world that would need bionic hands um, but the numbers that he was quoting was wildly inflated and we we knew roughly what the numbers were and it just wasn't enough to um, it didn't there wasn't a market size for it really not yet um so he discovered that he could use a, his system and another closed loop system to uh, diagnose and treat parkinsonian and tremor symptoms so the long-term prospect of the company search technology is that if you suffer with parkinson's or tremor there will be a box on your wall in years to come and all you need to do is put your finger into that box and that will give you enough electrical charge to stop your muscles shaking through the day. So that's the, that's the long-term goal of this amazing company. And this was, you know, this was something so random and opportune. And and yeah, we so we founded a company um, out of Imperial back in 2020. And these guys have gone great guns since then. So yeah, muscle whispering is like a big thing in my life. Incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And when you, what I love about what you just shared too, is to take one use case. Well, here's another use case and how one inspired technology can really fuel innovation in so many different ways for so many different people to serve so many different causes. Absolutely. And you know, what I found when I was, when I was about 18, 19, all my mates went to university and it was only to get a better job at the end of uni, basically. They were there for three or five years, wherever it may be, and it was all about making more money when they finally entered the working market. But all the students that I've met in the last six or seven years 
all want to make a difference. They want to help humanity, really. And they're so passionate and engaged when somebody who has limb difference or a disability is willing to come in and talk to them and be honest and open about the situation, about how hard some things are, how much they enjoy certain things. Uh, you know, how, how do we develop a, a prosthetic attachment that I can go fly fishing with because that's a hobby that I used to do with my wife and I miss it because I lost my arm. You know, all these kids are just so uber keen to help and try and find a solution, especially in the engineering departments. So it's really, I find it like incredibly, um, just, I just find it so inspiring that these kids want to help because I never grew up in that kind of mentality when I was younger. So to see it in the unis now, it does give me quite a warm feeling that in the years to come, there's going to be amazing technologies and amazing advancements in assisted tech coming out of the universities, which mm -hmm. is just amazing for all who needs it. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like you say, that the technology that comes out, the innovations that come out will be not in service of self, but in service of others. Like people really find yeah. it passionate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, we've never, a lot of the kids that we work with have gone on to get awards for their degrees because they were working with me closely. I'm more than happy to give my time to students who are um, in on a course anywhere in the world and they want somebody to give them a kind of a real life feedback about what it's like with no legs, no arms, no fingers, no wrists, no hands, whatever, you know, and to be honest and open with them. And I think then they're more infused and engaged because they might have gone down a certain pathway that isn't isn't quite right. And I think it's it's our responsibility as an end user that we then guide them along the pathway that is right, you know, for fellow amputees in similar in similar situations. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, you know, so um, adaptive technology, it's on the rise. We're hearing about it more and more. Yeah. My question is, is it rising quick enough? Is there a gap right now that tech needs to fill to fulfill equitable innovation? Yeah, I think unfortunately we, I can only speak about my circumstances at quadruple amputee. So, you know, I lost my limbs um, and they give me body power prosthesis um, and they're not very good. And then I go and look for other, other equipment and then I see, you know, slightly better body power prosthesis. And then you see the bionic hands and then you see the Marvel characters and you see Iron Man and, and all those guys. And the psyche is that that equipment is out there, amazing. And you see all these glossy ads of Bionic hands doing amazing things. And, you know, some are $100,000, some are $10,000. Um, and it just looks amazing. But the reality is that there's nothing in between. You've either got around $3,000 or you're jumping to 10 to 30 to 50 to 70 to 100. And, you know, in the UK, as an NHS patient as I am, you know, I self-funded my prosthetics as much as I can. Um, the bionic equipment is just not realistic to me at any point in the, in my life, I don't think, unless I win the lottery, then I will buy some cool kit. But I know in my heart that that kit would not make my life any better. I would not be any more independent. I just look cooler. And I think that's the problem. 
that is jumped so far ahead and there's great advancements beyond they're not making equipment that is as functional as it is aesthetic and as functional and aesthetic as it is cost-wise in a cost comparison so i see i see a divide from what a lot of people are getting in the developing world all into europe and some of the us and then i'm seeing this massive gulf in between and all the bionic kit and the microprocessor knee joints you know i think i, I had a quote to you the other day for me because i wanted to know what my um, current cost would be if i had bionic elbow bionic wrists hands fingers knees wrists feet everything i'm missing and it was about six hundred thousand uh, dollars to put me in equipment and that's six hundred thousand dollars every five years so it's it's just wildly out of control and for us and the research work we do all the kids that we work with the students it's think global don't think western don't think european think global mm-hmm. you know there's a tiny amount three percent globally of all amputees have access to and are comprehensive users of prosthetics so there's a massive goal for just not getting anything that they need and, and in my eyes that's where we need to focus on yeah yeah making it addressing it on the global level um yeah. you know so so let's 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 stay here with numbers let's talk numbers for a moment because as you mentioned prosthetics they are not inexpensive and with your estimation no. the expenses that you would have uh, we're talking like seven million pounds so here enters project which i love project limitless uh so this is your initiative providing soft shell prosthetic arms for uk children last yes. year last year am i right that every day one child with an upper limb difference received support through project yeah. limitless yeah one a day so I would just I would love just to hear the story behind this. How did this all come to be? This work that you're doing specifically here. Um so again it was a it was a user-led study at Imperial working with a student called Nate. And Nate's just a really really lovely guy. And he wanted to build me a a hand, a bionic hand, and he, he was going to put all these things in it and he was adamant that that's what I needed. Um but the end product that he created was pretty well, it was terrible. I mean you couldn't wear it. And you would never be seen dead in it if you left left the university. And he could see my disappointment when I was giving them feedback on the project. And he stayed behind. All the other students went. And he stayed behind. And he said, "I realise now that, that what I should have done is ask you at the beginning, what do you want, or what do you need, and let us design and build something that will work for you." And I said, "That's exactly the attitude." And I said, "If you do that, and if you are, you ask me now, what what do I want? I want something." functional, comfortable, and affordable. I said, you marry those three and you'll have a great product. So he went away and he, he worked on it for a couple of years and we were always kind of dipping in working with him. And he founded uh, MIT originally that moved on to Koala. And then Koala started making soft shell sleeves for adults initially. So for me, other arm amputees that I'd met over the years. And we were again, you know, the first patients to trial them, to test them out. And then through lockdown, we realized that all the clinics were shut. So a lot of children couldn't get accessed or have enough manpower behind the scenes to make their new sockets to develop or make new equipment for them. So me and Nate and the Douglas Barley Foundation, who I'm an ambassador for, um, 
we had a meeting and we said, look, why don't we see if we can drum up some interest in the UK and, and we can supply children? Because they're the ones missing out at the moment. They're stuck at home. They can't socialise. They're trying to work from home, which when you're nine years old is terrible. Yeah. Um, let's see if we can give, you know, add a bit of joy to their life at the moment. So we went on TV and, and all of a sudden this outpouring of love in the UK came in. But it also meant that the funds started to come in. So we raised very, very quickly about £400,000. So that was that was enough to enable every child for a year. And since then, we've gone on to raise another 350. So we've now supplied 750 children in the UK with a free uh, upper limb prosthetic um, since Limitless was born in the end of 2020. Um, and what we're looking at now is a uh, almost like a circular economy. So we're going to run it again and we're going to extend our age range from 10 to 18. But what we're going to get the younger kids to do is to send all their old arms back because they're two years down the line. Chances are they've grown out of those prosthetics by now. Um, so we want them to send their old arms back. We can recondition them at our HQ in London. And then me and four other people are going to go out to the Ukraine in a few weeks' time and start to build a relationship there to see if we can supply limbs to the children in the UK, in the Ukraine, where again, facilities are in and out of power. You know, it's going to be a, ter a torrid time for children or anyone in the Ukraine. So I think we can help over there and be able to give free limbs to kids in the Ukraine as well. Wow. And I, I love that just being able to repurpose, um, you know, th those assets, those limbs and be able to serve others in that way. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of it with normal um, traditional socket design is that once the socket is too tight, then it's you can't do anything with it. It, it gets binned. Um, so amputees have so much kit in and around their homes. I mean, I've got arms and legs and feet and blades and all sorts of things dotted around my house. And I just send them to universities now because I get this, I get the students to design better things than what I've got at home. But it also clears my home out which my other half is quite pleased about. <laughs> um, but we wanted something that we could possibly use for four to six years, rather than, you know, a current prediction on a child is maybe when they're young, in and around sort of nine, 10 or 11, you're looking at a socket every three months, so four a year. So if you think that's, that's 16 sockets over four years and our children will get two, and it gives them just as much functionality. You know, it enables them to hold a pen, to hold a paintbrush, to ride a bike, to ride a scooter. It's really simple social things and it empowers them and it gives them uh, independence and inclusivity. So it was a, a no-brainer and it's, yeah, one of the best things we've ever done. So amazing. Um, Alex, assisted by technology, you've gone and done so much since the loss of your limbs please just share and i know you've done a lot so what adventures have you been on and um, which is your favorite too okay uh so i think well, skydiving was the first thing i did post injury that kind of infused me to do more adventurous stuff so i wasn't an adventurous guy before that falling ill and skydiving was the first thing that i thought actually i've been missing out on a lot so now I'm just going to do as much as I can. And then, then we kayaked around the southern tip of Greenland 
um, for 300 kilometers over 10 days, which is just stunning. Um, and then I went out to South Africa on the Namibian border and we kayaked along the Orange River um, for about 14 days, which was again, unbelievable. Um, and then we, I was, I was not tired of going on holiday, but it, all I felt like I was doing was just that. I was going and having a great time in a lovely country, but there was no legacy. We were leaving nothing behind. And I felt that it was wrong of me to not involve my community, the disabled community in some way. Uh, so the next thing we did was Ethiopia. So in 2019, we, we cycled on a university hand cycle, um, which was a solar powered battery assisted four wheeled and um, custom made double above uh, above knee amputee hand cycle and um, so we cycled through the Simeon mountains and we then summited Ethiopia's highest mountain Rastashen which is about four and a half thousand meters high and then in the meantime we set up a affordable wheelchair facility in Bahadar uh, so there's been a lot of uh, war raging since we came back in 2019 so our factory now makes mobility aids, um, prosthetics, wheelchairs, wheelchair attachments um, for anyone with a disability coming down from the north, from the mountains into Baghdad. Um, and then I, last year, I went to Namibia and I crossed the Namib Desert on the mobility scooter. Um, unfortunately, the hand cycle that I should have been riding across the desert on was stuck on a container ship for six months. So I never I never got to sat, uh, sit on it in Namibia, unfortunately. But I did have a amazing um, battery powered attachment from Tri-Ride that attaches to my wheelchair. So I bumped my way across part of the desert uh, for 14 days, which was great. And then this year, um, I'm gonna do a 500 kilometer, 24 hour cycle race uh, local to me to raise money for a local children's hospital and then in june um well i'm just about to receive a uh, 20 foot uh, sailing boat that we've adapted into a rowing boat and then i'm going to row across the south of england so 400 miles in june and then cycle all the way back through the south of england um so that's what we're up to to now really um but for me ethiopia is the one for me because I saw, I just I saw something that just changed my world. It really did completely rock my world, and I couldn't believe how so many with so little could be so welcoming, happy, content, um, and just to think that we make a slight difference to those lives is just when well, it makes me cry. Quite frankly, it was just an amazing 19 days on a with amazing people you know we're such a kind of ragtag group of guys all thrown together um but we took emma bet with us so emma bet was a double above the amputee so she was hit by a truck when she was three and lost her legs and when she returned from hospital with her mum the tribal elders of her village said look you might as well leave her to die in the ditch she's of no use to us whatsoever she will not be inclusive in our community so her mum outrage move into the city and that's where we met her when she was 21 and she was just a beacon of light really on that trip she was she's the first double uh, above knee ethiopian to ever fly on a mountain 
and to think that we made that happen with her and she she was just legendary really and she inspired all of us and yeah it was, it was fantastic um but that group of people obviously we all went, went, went out to namibia last year but some of us will be going to the ukraine a lot of them will take part in the road this year we'll all we're all involved in the cycle race so we've all stuck together because we all believe that as a group we can make anything happen and yeah ethiopia was just yeah life-changing that is such a bit thank you so much for sharing that story that's absolutely beautiful um just thinking about what that must have been like and um yeah yeah it was just phenomenal i mean when i came back to the uk and there was a hot shower there was food um, a comfy bed everything that we had all of us when we returned to the uk we could not get our heads around it and i think a lot of us got very depressed and we felt that we could have done so much more over there with more time with more money um and it it, it was quite a it was a really tough time and, I, and honestly, I was more depressed after Ethiopia than I ever was about losing my limbs. So that's that's the impact it had. And yeah, since then, you know, for us, it's about developing AT, developing wheelchairs and prosthetics and stuff, and, and just being able to help a just a well a, a global community that's in need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I can see how that depression was converted into drive to just do more yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's no good me sitting at home worrying about stuff we had to kind of move on and then obviously the pandemic hit and then limitless was born out of that so we've been very fortunate in that every event that we've done one leads to another then maybe one or two others and then even more and it just it's just is constant train of you know ideas and adventure and it's mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing really amazing it's incredible um so i'd, I'd like to quote you <clears throat> oh okay <laughs> never <laughs> in a million years would i have attempted this with legs and arms but i'm not the man i was alex these are your words now i'd love to hear in more of your words Please tell us about the man that you are now, that you were not then. So the man I am now just has a much wider appreciation of everything. Whether it's bird song in the morning, whether it's doing homework with my son at night, whether it's going out for dinner with Lucy, I just enjoy my life more now than I've ever, ever done before. And the man before I fell ill was a man that was just languishing, not living a life that he should have done. You know, I, I, the best two things to come up out of those 33 years were Lucy and Sam. Um, and luckily I, I managed, and well, between the three of us, we managed to hold on to each other and we stay together. And, you know, they've been the foundation along with my best mate and friends and family to build me up and and move me forward and once i started moving forward which is probably back in hospital with maybe 
a few sit-ups in rehab or, or learning to transfer into a car. That was the beginning of just keep going, keep going, keep going. And we've sort of never stopped from that point. We've never even looked back really to think, oh, what if that happened? Or what if this had happened? It's just so much now is just incredible in my life that there's no way in the world I would want my legs and arms back now if by some miracle of science that was, that was feasible. Because what I've achieved in the last nine years now just probably outweighs three of my previous lifetimes, if I'm honest, but what we've done, more importantly, who we've done it with. Above all else, it's the people that we've been involved with, that we've worked with, that have supported, that have given me ideas and I've given them ideas. And, you know, now it's about harnessing that incredible network that we've built over the last nine years and just doing some real good with it. And what I love about my life is it's just not normal. There is no nine to five. There is no, every day is different. Every night is different. You know, tomorrow I'm retrofitting a trailer so I can sleep in it for a month in June. Monday I receive a, a rowing boat. I've never even rowed as yet and I'm rowing 400 miles in June. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but it's exciting and it means I've got to go down to the coast and get in there and learn to row in the cold and you know what happens if I fall out the boat and it's just so much is so thrilling and kind of dangerous really um but we have support guys um but more importantly you know we could raise a ton of money for charities that desperately need it while having the best time you know sure it's going to be hard it's difficult but you know what I do now it involves students and universities and companies and groups of people and charities and it's such a, a vast array of people that's making it possible and i guess that's what we want to do more of we want more people we want more ideas um we want to do the extraordinary i'm not a i'm never going to be the guy that's going to say right i'm going to run a race or i'm going to uh, do something that's been done before for me it's all about the unknown and how we make that possible and who we bring along for the ride with us and how they and how they help and how they make it possible for us so yeah yeah i mean the guy that i am now is could not be further away from the man that i was before i fell ill man you are now is limitless hopefully well, we'll find out in June. I'll go rowing. <laughs> <laughs> June will tell the tale. Yeah, uh, June will yeah, be a different story. Uh, so, <laughs> another quote, another quote of yours. Uh, it turns out that this is the best gig in the world. What was deemed an absolute tragedy has turned out to be the greatest journey. If you were to choose, and you've had so many moments, like you just said, so many things that you love about your life now, but if you were to choose one of the best moments along the way, and also one of the worst, what would those be, the best and the worst of times? I think probably emotionally, it, it centers around my son. So the worst times when he arrived in ICU, and I was in Salisbury and I hadn't seen him for weeks on end and, and Lucy brought him in 
And when I when he could, he came into the unit and he was sort of sort of scurrying behind Lucy and looking around. And he could see all the machines, the beeping, and he was like a rabbit in the headlights. And then when he saw me, he hid behind Lucy's legs. And I remember thinking then that that was just the worst thing I've ever seen, ever, ever seen. And I didn't have an answer as to how I could change that. I was at the mercy of the, the health service, my surgeons and the doctors, but that poor little lad just looked at me and thought, that isn't my dad. Um, and any parent, you know, if you could imagine that, it was just heartbreaking, utterly heartbreaking. Um, and the best moment has been every moment since where he pats me on the shoulder, he helps me fix a bike, or he goes out with me on a motorbike, or, you know, he'll jump in the boat for the road in June. When I go to his school with all the toys that I play with and all the kids that are going, oh my God, that's your dad, he's amazing. And, he, and I see that, then that is, that is the drive. Ultimately, that is the drive. So he is that he has been part of the the worst that wasn't his fault, but the best moment since has been just how we managed to try and rebuild that the bridge that wasn't there that had gone. Um, not for long; it was it was a short time, but man, it felt forever trying to get him to be happy with me, be able to see that I was still dad, and I think because of the dad I was just instilled a fire that I was never going to be the dad, that dad again. But for now, it was about him and how I could get him to get his head around the tragedy that we thought it was at the time. And now he can see that it's the best thing that ever happened to me. He can see the stuff that I do, who I work with. You know, it's amazing and he's part of it and he's on that journey with me and Lucy and all my mates and my family were all on it together. Um, but yeah, for me, every time he comes home from school, you know, he'll say, what have you done today? Who have you spoken to? What have you broken? What are we building? What are we doing next? Where are we going? You know, he's just infused by it. And I think that's probably the greatest achievement of all of us together that's worked to make it happen. Mm -hmm. That he is so at home with what happened to me and at ease with how I am, which is just amazing. And I love being a parent i can i can only imagine how incredibly difficult that worst moment that you shared would have been um i mean all you want to do every time you see your child upset you just want to give them a hug and tell them it's going to be all right and i couldn't do that you know i was lying i couldn't move i couldn't you know i think i lost my arm at that point um i had surgeries on my legs you know i had nowhere moving and i couldn't really speak very well and I just felt helpless, absolutely, just utterly helpless. And Lucy was amazing. You know, she was fantastic. And we could not, Sam and I could have not reconnected without her. You know, she she made sure that every night she was saying, he's still your dad, that is daddy, daddy's going to be fine, he's going to come out and he's going to be great and things are going to be fine. And she kept him going and going. So yeah, without her, you know, we wouldn't be in this kind of glorious state that we're in really. Mm. And the fact that from this loss, there's so much you've gained again. And it seems then in that way that as much as you've grown as a person, you've been able to share that 
and give that to your son, to Lucy, to, like you say, your, your mates, yeah. your family, that they've been able to grow with you, sort of living vicariously, perhaps, maybe through what they've seen in you. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I think another one of my greatest achievements is that the two guys that worked with Jeff Watson, who saved my life, is now one of my greatest friends. Alex Crick, my plastic surgeon, who was phenomenal in rebuilding me. She is now one of my greatest friends. My prosthetist is a good mate, great mate. And what I like now is that if I go to them and say, right, I'm thinking about going to the Ukraine for any part of it, they don't even hesitate. They just say, yes, we're in. And that for me is like, I've never met you guys without strength. And to think that I might not have them in my life would just be terrible. You know, what they've given me and what we're going to give others. It could be immeasurable in time. It's, it's just such a amazing thing to be part of. But that's what I love. You know, if I go to someone and say, do you fancy going here? They're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. They're just so positive and that's, that's great for all concerned. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, so you, you told us about what you've done, what you're doing next. I guess right now I'd like to ask, you know, for those who feel limited by their abilities or constrained by their technologies or lack thereof, what words would you have to share, Alex? What words would you leave them with to, to give them hope? All the hope lies in our children, our children that go to university, our children that get involved and look at how we can or they can develop better ideas, better products. For me, all the blue sky creativity is in our kids. And somehow as a, a person with disabilities, we need to harness that and get them behind how they develop the ideas, design technology, engineering courses. Um, and get them enthused about how much they can help. So what we're gonna do in the UK, and then hopefully we can roll it out globally, is we wanna work with uh, school children between the ages of seven and 18. So every school child or group of children will work with an end user. So somebody that needs assistive technology. So it could be someone with glasses, hearing aids, wheelchairs, it could be mobility aids, it could be whatever, whatever they struggle with what can the children dream up that could make their lives better but it has to be someone that you know in your network so it could be your neighbor it could be your auntie your grandfather it could be anybody that you know so we create this kind of network of everybody talking about their disabilities and what technology could be improved and how we make that happen so the kids come up with an idea and they develop it um, over the course of about two and a half three weeks then their design and technology teachers will then rate the best ideas. So the best ideas go forward to me and a group of judges. And then we feed those winning entries into our university ecosystem. So all the students that are looking for projects, and there's thousands of them in the UK, so I can only imagine globally how many kids are out there looking for ideas. The ideas go into the universities and the university students develop them further while still working with the child's idea, whose idea it was, and the end user who sparked the idea for the child. So we're all working together on these products. Now the overall winner of the competition, so the child, the end user, and the university student or group that have designed something amazing, it'll be prototyped, and then we'll then go and get seed funding to make it a product and try and get it into that AT space. 
that way we're all part of it. It's not just one crazy idea, it's everybody working together to develop better ideas and get better products into that space. So we were running a pilot in September here in the UK and then next year we will launch uh, globally if we can. Um, because I think there's just so many students there just crying out for ideas that they could really just, I wanna, in my mind, I see a seven-year-old designing something which could go on and change the world for a, a group of people with disabilities. That's what I wanna see. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we get that year on year, can you imagine how amazing it would be? And then anyone with disabilities would be looking forward to what's coming out next. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking, I can't afford that, that's too expensive. You know, these products have to be affordable. It's, it's on the mantra, affordable, functional, comfortable. Right. If we can work on that, then I think we can change the world. I would agree with you. And I like how you mentioned uh, a child working with an end user and that the how important it is for the end user to be part of the process from the beginning. Not a little yeah. checkbox at the end, but rather, it, yeah. You know, we all live with the frustrations of some of our equipment and it's very hard to know how we improve upon that. You know, what, what can we do? And I would think 99% of us, we just make do. We don't adapt it. We don't try and change it. We can't afford to buy loads and loads of other products. So we just deal with it and we, we work around it. But in this day and age, you shouldn't just have to work around a product like that. You know, if you think what we've invented over the last 100 years and, and you know, the technology revolution of the last 30, surely we can be building and developing better products around disability and assisted tech. And there are great companies out there doing it. You know, when we work with them, we've seen them. We just need more of them. Yeah, absolutely. And to make them, and to make them pretty. I mean... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why aren't they cool? You know, we've all got an iPhone. We love it. Everyone loves an iPhone, don't they? When the iPhone came out, it was beautiful. It was sleek. It was a game changer for mobiles. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how assistive tech should look like. You know, mm -hmm. a phone is a bit of assistive tech, I think. Yeah. You know, I run my life on my phone. So yeah. that is assistive to me. You know, but why aren't we seeing all the products like that? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. When are Apple going to do a wheelchair? That's the question. Maybe we need Ooh. to push that. An Apple chair, an eye chair. Yes. Yeah. No, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> why not exactly. uh, thank you so much for taking this time and sharing all that you have um thank you for doing the work that you do in service of others and elevating others and for helping just all of us become a bit more aware now thank you so much i love it i absolutely love it thank you for having me thank you Tune into our podcast, subscribe to our magazine, find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are Aware Now.